You know, recently, um, I, I noticed a, a couple had quit coming to Alliance. They, they'd actually been here for years. And uh, so I, I called to follow up on them. I don't always do that, but, but this particular couple had, had been around a while. And, and the wife answered the phone, and, and I said, I, I just wanted to check in uh, with you and to see if everything was okay. And she said, well, since you asked, I'll tell you. A few years ago, the tone of your sermons changed. You started talking a lot about suffering and persecution, and I found myself leaving the services in tears with no hope. So we're looking for something else. I I wanted to say, you do know I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. (laughs) But I didn't. I was... Hopefully a little more gracious, and I encouraged them to find a good church where they could learn and grow and serve. But it did get me, uh, it did get me curious. So I looked up our sermons, our time in the Word, our book studies over the past few years, and you know what? She's right. You see, it was almost exactly four years ago that we began what are called the prison epistles, the letters that Paul wrote while he was suffering in prison for the gospel, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and and Philemon. And in those books that we began four years ago, uh, we we found verses like, in Ephesians, Paul ended by encouraging us to put on the full armor of God because we were in in a war. We were were battling the schemes of the devil. In, In Philippians, he actually wrote, as he faced potential martyrdom, he wrote these words, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, from those two choices, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very much better. Paul actually saw martyrdom for the sake of Christ, which he, by the way, eventually endured, beheaded on the Ostian Way outside of Rome. He saw that as gain. But then he had to go on in Philippians to write these rather meddlesome words. For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Here's a gift. It's a grace gift for you. This is the way it's worded. It's a grace gift for you to suffer for Jesus. He finished that book by encouraging us to be content no matter what the circumstances were, suffering or not. And then comes that verse that we all like to print on everything, t-shirts and coffee mugs and stuff like that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but that's talking in the context of having little or a lot of suffering for the cause of Christ. Well, we then went to the next book, Colossians, where he wrote something quite similar. Now, I rejoice. Yeah, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of the body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We saw that verse meant not that there was something uh, lacking in Christ's atoning death, but that the church, as, as the body of Christ, it too was assigned a certain amount of suffering. And Paul, he actually rejoiced in his suffering. Philemon, Paul talked about being in prison, suffering for the gospel. So, I mean, this is going on for years now, you know. It takes me a while to get through a book, and we've been talking about suffering for years. I mean, I could go on. We went to the pastoral epistles after the prison epistles, namely First and Second Timothy. And in Second Timothy, Paul encouraged Timothy to suffer hardship with him as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and, then, he, and then he said this in chapter 3, Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. And, and then he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer or will be persecuted. 
the truth is, Paul talked about suffering for the cause of Christ in almost every one of his letters. We can go to Second Corinthians chapter uh, eleven, I think it is, where he talks. About, he gives that litany, that list of sufferings that he had endured for the cause of Christ. And the further truth is, Jesus promised it over and over and over again for his followers. You're going to suffer, and 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 so over these past few years, as I've looked at the global political and religious landscape, I, I, I have I have warned them suffering because it is rising, I believe, even here. Somewhere in that time, we took a little break to study the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis to see how God used Joseph's suffering in Egypt to preserve the chosen family, the, the, the Jews through whom would come both the Word of God and the Son of God. And we, we were reminded that God does work all things together for our good. <laughs> and we saw there that all things are not good. In fact, quite the opposite, that verse in Romans 8 that we all like to quote, all things aren't good in the midst of suffering, but they are for our good. Then we jumped into the Gospel of Mark. And one of Mark's themes has been, in the midst of this rising popularity of the Savior, there has been rising opposition. As early as chapter 3, the religious and political leadership began plotting uh, to, together to kill Jesus. We've also seen this was all according to the sovereign plan of God. And, and then over the past couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus and his disciples make their way north, uh, the furthest extremity they ever went to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Jesus asked the disciples who the people um, thought he was. They had all kinds of guesses. The first one was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Oh, yeah, that's right. John was the forerunner to Jesus. Like Malachi like said he would, and it would be, and he lost his head for the sake of Christ after a six-month ministry. Still others said that it was Elijah, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, or one of the other prophets. And Jesus looked them squarely in the eye and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, ever the spokesman for the disciples, he actually got it right. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God, finally. Someone in Mark's gospel, I mean, sure, God had declared it from heaven and the demons were declaring it, but finally a human had figured it out. So Jesus said, now that you know who I am, you need to understand what I came to do. And from that time, Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed. This is the first of what will be three passion predictions. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, and, and, I'm, going, and I'm going to die and be raised again the third day. And, and, and we call that the, the, the good news, right? Is that good news? That's the, that's the gospel. We like that Jesus suffered because it got me eternal life. Uh, well, for Peter and the disciples, it was bad news. Peter thought the same way that everyone else thought then, even thinks today. The way of Christ can't include suffering. The, the way of Christ can't include a cross, can it? Certainly not. He, Peter pulled Jesus aside, rebuked him. God forbid it, Lord. No way. Not while I'm alive. Not going to happen to you. That's not supposed to happen to the Messiah. That's bad news, Jesus. You're mistaken. Suffering? Get behind me, Satan. This is exactly what I came to do. You're setting your mind not on the things of God, but the things of man and and we've had that problem ever since. We could actually go back to the 
very beginning of time, setting our mind on man's interests, our own selfish, self-serving self-interests and not the things of God. It, it's interesting that they saw the gospel, the good news, as, as bad news, but Jesus was not finished. You see, not only did he come to suffer, but now he reveals to us that so would his disciples. You see, a faithful reading through the New Testament finds followers of Jesus are promised suffering. We do go verse by verse through the Bible, which very clearly declares suffering for followers. And you preach that particular message in most places around the world, and everyone goes, duh. Of, co of course, that's been our experience. But here, you preach the message here, and we think something's amiss. If we suffer, something's wrong. And the truth is that we're going to find today that there is actually hope in the promise of suffering for Jesus. It's what he promised, and by our suffering, we bring him glory, and in that we can rejoice, and we prove to be truly followers. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Not only will I suffer, so will you. Texas found in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and following, and Jesus summoned the crowd. In other words, this message is not just for the, the elite 12, you know, the first stringers. This is for everybody. That's what he says and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up a cross. We read that and we go, well, yeah, we got it on the, I mean, it's like over you right now. I've got it around my neck. I've, I've taken up my, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, loses, I mean, what does that mean? I think it means taking up a cross. He will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Got everything in the world on one side, everything in, and, and your soul on the other, which is weightier. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, you don't want to suffer, so you hide your faith, you're ashamed of Christ. The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Does that sound like good news to you? I mean, the, I mean, the first part was, right? He's going to go suffer and die, but now me? A lot of people think it's bad news. It's why they preach a health, wealth, and prosperity theology. It's why we're exporting that crap around the world. I am not convinced that the relative peace and prosperity that we have enjoyed under the sovereign hand of God in this country has been altogether good for the church of Jesus Christ in the United States. Oh, it was to be for our good. It was to be for the good of the gospel. But, but, the, but people, as we often do, have taken God's good gifts for His purposes of spreading the gospel around the world, and we've perverted it. We've made it some kind of spiritual birthright. 
And so not, not only do we avoid suffering, we think somehow we, well, we're exempt from it. And if we suffer, then something's wrong. I'm going to suggest today that when we suffer, something is actually right. Let me assure you, this is not bad news. Two weeks ago, we saw the call to Christ's cross in verses 31 to 33. This week, we'll see the call to the disciples' cross. Let me outline this particular passage. We're going to see the, the cost of disciples. There is a cost to discipleship. We're going to see a paradox of discipleship. You, you lose it all to get it all. And then there is a warning of rejecting discipleship. You don't want this? There's a cost. Begin with the first one, the cost of following Jesus. He outlines the cost for us in verse 34. Anyone wishing to come after me, to follow me, to be my disciple, must do the following three things. He must deny himself, he must bear a cross, and he must follow Christ. It sounds like fun, doesn't it? I didn't know that. When I signed up to be a Christian, I didn't read the fine print. From here, Jesus gives a compelling argument for his demands in the rest of the passage. In fact, notice how the next four verses all begin with the word for. He is building a case, a case which leads to a sober warning of not following Jesus. In other words, this is not bad news. This is good news. It's the not following that's bad news. Live in a country and a world that avoids pain at all costs, sees suffering as evil. In fact, that's the reason that some reject the faith. I said a moment ago, we have those who teach a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that if you choose to follow Jesus, you will be healthy, you will be wealthy, and you will be prosperous. No problems. Jesus will take care of all that. In fact, if you are facing problems, if you are facing sickness, if you are facing financial woes, if you're not passing your classes, if you are facing suffering of any kind, then it's because you do not have enough faith. That is not actually what Jesus says here. Following Christ is cross-bearing. The truth of this passage is there will be a cross before a crown, suffering before glory, sacrifice before reward, giving before gaining, losing before winning. Notice, reward comes. That's good news. But there's a cost. Three things Jesus says to his would-be disciple. First, you must deny yourself. The word deny means to completely disown, to utterly separate yourself from someone. Here, you completely disown, you utterly separate yourself from yourself. The one who would be a disciple of Jesus must completely disown himself. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Lots of discussion about that. Everyone agrees that Jesus is talking about self-denial. That's not too difficult. To deny yourself is self-denial, but what do we deny? To what end do we deny ourselves? Some have, have, have taught that to deny oneself is to abase and to abuse, abuse yourself, to live an, an ascetic lifestyle where you forsake all of life's Life's comforts and, and maybe even necessities like food and, and clothing and shelter for centuries uh, after, the li- uh, after the life of Christ. We talked about this last week. Hermits, monks observed lives of self-denial where they lived in caves or on top of poles or out in the desert or in a monastery. They, were intention- they wore intentionally rough animal hair clothing to make themselves uncomfortable. They slept on the floor or wooden pallets or even on nails. They allowed themselves to eat only the bare necessities, maybe a little bread, maybe a little 
water just to stay alive. They took vows of poverty and silence and celibacy. Some went so far as to disfigure themselves. They flogged themselves, supposing inflicting on themselves the suffering of Christ. These people walked through life thinking, I'm miserable, I must be spiritual. Is this how we deny ourselves? No comfortable homes, no soft beds or pillows, no fashionable fashionable clothing, no pizza for you. I don't think so. Paul dealt decisively with this issue of asceticism. That's what it's called, this denial of the body in Colossians chapter 2. If you have died with, oh, there's that death thing again. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit to yourself to these crazy degrees? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. They all refer to things destined to perish uh, with use in accordance with the commandments of, these are just commandments of, and teachings of men. Uh, These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So self-denial, self-denial here that Jesus is talking about has nothing necessarily to do with denying yourself food or clothing, of giving up chocolate for Lent. Nothing to do with that. It is not the denial of something to yourself. It is the denial of self itself. So what is it? The paradox of salvation is that it costs nothing, yet costs everything. Yes, salvation comes by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, apart from any works that you can do. Yet to depend on Christ for salvation also means giving up your old life with its pride, with its conceit, with its pursuits, with its ambition. It is no longer focusing on yourself. It is focusing on the things of Christ. It is taking yourself off the throne of your heart and enthroning Christ there. Simple question to ask yourself, is there anything in this life that is more important to you than Jesus? then you have not denied yourself, not fully. You must renounce any claim to your own life and live totally for God. This is the pursuit of the Christian life, growing in Christ-likeness, seeing more of Him in you and less of you. He must increase, I must decrease. It is to say no to your fleshly desires and yes to the will of God in your life. It is to recognize that we still live in a broken world with the vestiges of the sin nature and that our flesh battles against our spirit. It is to allow God by His Holy Spirit to take control of my life day by day, moment by moment, to be filled with the Spirit of God such that my desires become His desires. Lots of passages talk about presently, right now, as believers, putting off the old self and putting on the new self, of putting to death the deeds of the flesh and walking in the Spirit and not walking according to the flesh and of being renewed in your mind, on and on and on. Let me show you one, Ephesians chapter 4. So this I say, affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they have become callous and given themselves over. This is how we used to walk, people, to sen- giving ourselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You see, sexuality, g- greediness, impurity... That sounds like our culture. 
But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay it aside. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which, is, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's what it means to deny yourself day by day in the power of the Holy Spirit so that you do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. This is not, brothers and sisters, this is not bad news. The life of Christ is, it, for you is more fulfilling, more satisfying, more abundant than anything that this life has to offer. Denying yourself, that is putting to death the flesh and living according to the Spirit of God is the best life you can possibly live. It is recognizing that you have Christ as your treasure. There's nothing better. So second... In addition to denying ourselves, Jesus takes it one step further. You must also take up a cross. Lots of explanations as to what Jesus meant by this. We've minimized the statement today by saying that things like, well, we all have uh, our crosses to bear. Some look at certain difficulties in their lives as their crosses to bear. A difficult husband, a difficult wife, a difficult child, a difficult mother-in-law. A difficult job, a difficult set of circumstances, a flat tire. It may be something more serious. It may be a birth defect, a serious illness, a premature death of a loved one. None of those are crosses. There would have been no confusion for the disciples as to what Jesus meant. They understood the cross meant one thing and one thing only death. I suppose by application we can say you must be willing to die to yourself, to put yourself to death and live in the newness of life that is available in the life of Christ. It sounds spiritual. It is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision when we say the old life is dead in Christ, the new life now lives to God. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. That's it, right? But Christ lives in me in the life which I now live. I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. To take up your cross then is simply to be willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. It's a willingness to endure shame and embarrassment and reproach and rejection and persecution. Yes, it is. And he takes it one step further. It is a willingness to endure martyrdom if necessary. This, I believe, is what Jesus meant. You see, he just talked about his own coming death. He was talking about physical death. Now he says his followers must be willing to give up their lives physically if necessary. Well, that didn't happen today. Oh, yeah, tell the 13 on a beach in Libya. Some in the early church took this too far. They actually sought martyrdom. The story is told of Origen, an early church father, who when the persecutions were happening in the first 250 years of the church, which were intense, Christians were dying all over the place, bearing crosses, you see. It was thought the spiritual thing to do to give your life for martyrdom, and so the persecutions would sweep through certain areas, and it was coming through the town in which Origen lived, and he wanted to go out and give his life as a martyr for Christ. And his mom wisely hid his clothes because he didn't want to go out naked. It's not necessarily what Jesus is saying here. We don't run to martyrdom, but we are saying this, nor do we run from it. 
We can actually face death the way the early Christians did, rejoicing that we are counted worthy to suffer for His name. Jesus spoke of taking up a cross. There was nothing mystical in the idea to them. They would have immediately pictured a poor, condemned soul walking along, carrying the crossbeam, the instrument of His death on His back. And a man who took up his cross began a death march, again carrying the very beam on which he would be executed. For a disciple to take up his cross is to begin the death march, to be willing in his service to suffer whatever lies in our path as we follow him. The body they may kill. We don't get it because of the relative peace and prosperity in which we have lived. And we hear that God, that Christ might actually be calling us to physical death, and we say, oh, no. Third, don't miss this one. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must follow me. I find that incredibly interesting. Basically, Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, he must follow. (laughs) If anyone wants to follow me, he must follow. You can't say you're a follower of Jesus and then not follow. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. This speaks simply of obedience. To follow Jesus very simply is to be obedient to the shepherd. In John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It's that simple. The disciple of Christ must uh, must say no to himself, deny himself, take up his cross, begin the death march, and follow Jesus, obey Jesus no matter what it says. But it's so Anticultural. Exactly. That's why it will cost you. Jesus goes on to now explain the necessity of these actions. Notice again, each of the four verses begin with the word for. They explain what he said in verse 34. He starts with verse 35, where he speaks of the paradox of Christian. Uh, discipleship, if you focus on yourself, trying to save your own life, pursuing all that this life has to offer, you may gain it, but in the end, you will lose your life. It is only as you deny yourself, recognizing your own inabilities, as you willingly face death to self and literal physical death if necessary, it's only as you follow Jesus that you will then lose your life, and by doing so, it is then that you will find it. It's the paradox. You lose it to gain it. In this life and the life to come. Cross before a crown, suffering before glory, sacrifice before reward, giving before gaining, losing before winning. I'm going to suggest here that God does not expect us to be miserable. He just understands that our greatest joy is found when our greatest satisfaction is not found in ourselves or what this world has to offer. It is found, we find greatest joy when our satisfaction is in Him. Everything we've heard, everything we've ever been taught, everything the world would have us believe, everything that we've ever tried to do, None of that will work. Our world tells us the only thing that you will ever get is what you grab for yourself. If you don't do it, if you don't go for it, you'll never get it because no one is ever going to hand it to you. Strive, push yourself, be, that all, you can, be all that you can be. Look out for number one. You're the only one who will. And Jesus says doing that will result in loss of life. You may get what this world has to offer. 
which leads to the next four, verse 36, you may gain the whole world. Jesus says, what a profit a man, if he gained the whole world, you might do that. Go ahead. Put your sights to gaining the world. You might get it and lose your own soul. If you live for yourself, if you do not deny yourself, if you don't take up a cross, if you don't follow Christ, you will ultimately lose. And that which you lose is of priceless, eternal value. For what will a man give in exchange for something as valuable as his own soul? Again, the whole world on one side, your soul on the other. Is it worth it? You will lose it all if you don't seek to gain it by giving it all up to Christ. The good news is Jesus came to bear a cross. The good news is Jesus came to bring us a cross. And by bearing a cross, we find life, the paradox. Jesus isn't finished. We see the fourth four in verse 38. And this is where the bad news is truly found. Yes, disciples... you're not completely mistaken about the Messiah. While it sounds like bad news that I've come to bear a cross, while it sounds like bad news that I've come to bring you a cross, you are right about one thing. There is coming a day when I will come to earth in great glory with my holy angels to what? To judge the world, Matthew tells us. And if you have been ashamed of me and my words, you've been ashamed of denying yourself, you've been ashamed of bearing a cross, you've kept your mouths shut because you are ashamed of being a Christian and you don't want to suffer, then I will be ashamed of you. Now, don't be mistaken, this is not works righteousness, it is rather proof of true salvation. True salvation changes a person's life trajectory. The good news is this, we can by His grace, by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, deny ourselves. We can by His Spirit, by His grace, bear our crosses, dying to self, spiritually, certainly, and physically if necessary. And we can follow Christ only as we surrender everything to Him. His words, not mine. Let's pray.